Farmers don't care about their animals. Farming is causing climate change. And you can't get into farming if you don't have a farming background. Debunking these myths about agriculture is a key talking point for the industry and something we need to shout louder about. I'm Anthony Voyle, digital content producer at Farmers Guardian, and I visited the health and wellbeing stand at the Lama Show this year for a talk on how we tackle this problem. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. With misinformation about agriculture being spread online and a huge disconnect between farmers and the rest of the public, debunking myths need to be a priority. A talk at the Health and Wellbeing Stand at Lama, hosted by the Farming Community Network and the Addington Fund, discussed the misconceptions and myths which have taken hold. Founder of Forage Aid, Andrew Ward, fourth generation pig farmer, Anna Longthorpe, and sheep farmer and YouTube blogger, Will Rubottom, discuss. Hello and welcome everyone. Thanks very much for being with us here today. Uh, my name's Alex Fulmer. I'm from a charity called the Farming Community Network, and I'm joined by uh, among our lovely guests today, uh, Annie Wynn from the Addington Fund, who will be talking as well as part of this, uh, this session today. Um, now, we're part of a, a group of charities called Farming Help. Uh, you'll see the Farming Help stands just behind you. So if anyone wants any more information about our charities uh, after this session, feel free to come over to the stands and we'll tell you a bit more about the work that we do supporting the farming community. Um, I'd also like to thank everyone here who may have filled in a survey prior to this session. You may not have, but everyone was uh, asked to fill in a survey in advance of LAMA. Uh, we had about 550 responses, and we got two really interesting results from that survey. One, which was very encouraging to us, was that the majority of people attending said that they would speak to a charity or ask a charity for support or help if they felt they needed it, which is really, really encouraging. And the other question that we asked people was, what makes you most proud of agriculture in the UK? What makes British agriculture incredibly special? And some of the responses we got from there were really, really encouraging, and we're going to be talking about some of those sessions, uh, some of those responses today. Now, we asked those questions partly to help inform the uh, topics of discussion today. What we're going to be talking about is we're going to be busting some myths. So we've got three myths that we're going to go through as part of this session, and we're going to ask our speakers to uh, give us their thoughts on what those those myths mean to them, and that will make more sense as we go into them. Um, but before we do that, I would like to introduce our speakers. So perhaps we can start with Andrew Ward. Could you tell us who you are and what sort of farming you do, Andrew? Yeah, hello. Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, thank you very much for uh, asking me to come and take part in this. Uh, I farm in Lincolnshire, roughly 1,700 acres uh, in the middle of Lincolnshire. And I started the charity Forage Aid in 2013 when a huge amount of snow fell in Wales and Cumbria. And then we've helped uh, in all the weather events after that. We are a weather-related charity, but we've also changed our remit slightly a couple of years ago to include an act of God. Um, so if anything comes along, such as foot mouth or anything like that, we'll, we'll help and get involved. But we're a weather-related charity. We work very closely with FCN and, uh, and Addington and uh, have a great relationship. So that's me. Thanks. And now, Will, perhaps you could tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, so yeah, I'm Will Rebottom. I'm a young farmer from Staffordshire. So I grew up on a family farm. We produce hay and haylage for the equine world. And over the past few years, I've developed sheep flock on the farm and gone along with it, creating a YouTube channel, trying to educate people a bit about what we get up to at home and try and encourage people into agriculture. Brilliant. And last but not least, Anna Longthorpe. Hey, so I'm Anna, a free-range pig farmer from East Yorkshire. Um, 
But yeah, we have a brand called Anna's Happy Trotters. Um, we, 14 years ago, we decided to get away from the mainstream supply chain and just go a bit more direct to give, put ourselves a bit more in control. Um, so built the brand and now supply to sort of farm shops, butchers. We have our own on-farm butchery, so processed products too, and then a retail arm as well in a farm shop and online sales. So we produce about 150 pigs every week. Thank you very much. Now, Alex, sorry, Alex, could I just say, uh, Will mentioned his YouTube channel. That has to allow me to mention mine as well. So, so some of you know <laughs> like, I have like one. Like they don't know about you already, Wardy. <laughs> <laughs> Wardy's waffle, again, partly due to the questions here as well, really promoting, like Will said, agriculture and food production and environment, because that is huge. Brilliant. Thanks, Andrew. Um, now, going into our first myth, um, we see this sometimes in the media. We see this sometimes on social media. It's that farmers don't care about the, the welfare of their animals. So this is something that we hear certain groups of people say. Farmers don't care about the welfare of their animals. And the first question we'd like to ask the panel is how does that make you feel when you see those sorts of comments being made or arguments being made? Over to you, Wardy. <laughs> well, whoever wants to go. Right. Whoever like wants to go. Right. Um, first of all, that statement is completely wrong. I'm an arable farmer, and until 2013, all I knew about livestock was that I ate it and that it was extremely healthy. But then when I started Forage Aid, I got to know a lot more about livestock. And that statement, farmers don't care for their livestock, is completely an utter rubbish. We are told that by some town people, we're told that by vegans, and we're even told it by government ministers as well. But it's wrong. Farming, farmers really care for the livestock, and I know from some of the interactions I've had uh, with livestock farmers and sheep farmers in the incidents we've helped, that they will often care for the livestock more than the family. And the families will suffer, and the families will go low on food, and they'll go on luxuries, and they'll spend the money on the livestock to make sure their livestock are healthy and surviving. Because if a livestock's not healthy, when it goes to market, they don't get so much for it. And I know some hill farmers in Wales and Cumbria, they live on a meagre existence, but the livestock are in a five-star accommodation. So I think that, for me, is, is, is where we need to be looking at, that livestock in the UK is tremendously well looked after probably the best in the world. Yeah, and the calls that we get as well as a farming help charity from people who actually call us for help, most of the time they're not actually upset about their situation. They're actually very upset that they're unable to look after their animals or they're worried that they can't feed their animals, they don't have enough money to. And actually, they don't talk about themselves, you know, oh, I'm in trouble, I'm not going to be able to feed myself. It's the, what's going to happen to my cattle? I need your help, we need some feed, etc. So obviously that's when we kick in as the Addington Fund with disaster relief or whatnot. But as you say, that, that, that myth is completely untrue and we want to try and get that across to the general public as much as possible. And especially with social media at the moment too, it's so easy just to spread one video, isn't it? One bad video, one bad animal welfare. And the majority of the time, it's not even in the UK. It's, you know, come from somewhere else. I don't know, I don't want to accuse anybody, but Europe or whatnot. And, but then everybody will just apply it to whatever situation they want to apply it to. And again, it's so difficult to to bring that back, isn't it? Other than promote ourselves, and obviously promote your, what you do on farm and, and open farm sessions and talks like this to try and get that message across to people, definitely. But you're completely right, Wardy. Like, you know, as I say, people are more, more worried about their welfare when they call, well, their animal welfare when they call us rather than themselves. And they will definitely put their animals first before, you know, before having a meal on their table. So that's just to back that up, obviously, from our side of things as a farming help charity. Will and Anna, what are your thoughts on this? No, I definitely completely agree. Personally, having grown up with livestock on the farm and developed my own sheep enterprise, 
that enterprise comes before anything else. You wake up first thing in the morning, you're going to check your stock before you have your breakfast yourself. And especially at lambing time, you are there 24-7 caring for those animals. You make sure they have 100% care throughout the day. And personally, I get quite passionate about this because of how much I personally care. I know every other single farmer in Britain is exactly the same. And that's why I do the channel on the YouTube too, just to show people how much we do care about our livestock. And it's a complete myth of people saying that they don't care. I know there's these odd farmers out there that they find on these channels and like you said before it's those odd videos that cost us so what we need to do as a farming industry is counter that and show exactly what we do as an industry how good we are as britain and how good british agriculture is yeah so from from my personal perspective as, as a pig farmer obviously it's been a very challenging time over the last year um, put simply if we didn't care about the animals we wouldn't do it that you know there's there's easier ways to make money let's be honest um, we've already said that farmers often put their, their livestock before their own families and that's happened a lot over the last year. We'll remember only a couple of weeks ago, bowsering water around our livestock to make sure that the welfare is there, you know, um, on a, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night or whatever, you, you look after your animals no matter what. Um, but as well, I think the, the strain, I think, of, of having the responsibility of looking after that animal and making sure those welfare standards high all the time it can be a huge mental stress so again it goes back to there are other careers out there where you could have you know <laughs> a lot easier life than having the conscience of that responsibility on your shoulders and and again i, I don't want to be negative at all but uh, but over the last year the things that have happened in our industry they will remain with those farmers forever uh things like tb outbreaks you know big, you know, devastating things that happen on farm. It's not, the, it's not the financial side of it that you remember. It's the emotional distress. Um, so, yeah, and it, it feels, as a farmer, you, you take that very personally and to not have the respect from the supply chain, um, to the respect for your animals to ensure that they go into the supply chain, um, it hurts. It hurts as a farmer. It makes you feel very devalued. Um, and yeah, you feel very protective over that animal to make sure that it kind of reaches its destination ultimately. Credit, credit to you as a pig farmer and other pig farmers out there for actually getting through what they've got through recently as well. Don't ever feel like you're devalued because, you know, we know exactly what goes into your industry and what you, as you say, care for the animals, etc. So yeah, I just want to give you a bit of kudos for obviously, you know, carrying on and doing as well as you are too. So well done. So if you were able to have a well-reasoned uh, conversation with someone who perhaps did have that attitude towards farmers and, and, and animal livestock, um, and they, you know, they were of the opinion that farmers don't care about their livestock, what would you want to say to those individuals? Imagine it's a, a reasoned Keep conversation. It polite, Keep it polite. <laughs> but as in, you know, you've got this opportunity and they are willing to listen. And uh, perhaps their opinion is informed by a lack of knowledge. Maybe they've never been on a farm before. Maybe they're only understanding of what farming is is walking down the supermarket aisle once a week so what would you say to these people to try and bridge that divide I think personally I think the best thing you could do is take them on the farm with you for a day and show you a day on the farm and exactly what you do so they can get a personal um, experience to see exactly how you do care for those animals by doing that I know you can't do that for every single person but by showing that person they might actually take a different um, opinion on what you do 
And also, again, going back to social media, there could be one, you know, bad video, but actually when you, you know, when you put yourself out on YouTube to show people what you're doing, and there's so many TikTok videos at the moment, isn't there, and farming and, and just making sure that actually that positive message is going out there as well, so that really helps. So obviously social media could be a negative, but also can be a real good positive too when it comes to agriculture. And obviously being on social media, I've seen a lot more kind of TikTok videos going out and young farmers getting into that to spread that message. And I really do believe we need to encourage that as much as possible. I think you're dead right, and going on a farm is definitely what I would do, but I also am very proactive. Even if you're in a pub or a restaurant and you hear people talking at a bar about and, and saying anything about you, the industry that you know about, don't just sit there and listen to it. If you don't agree with it, go up and say why you don't agree with it. Put them straight, put them right on points that, that they're wrong on. I think we can't do enough at getting out there and getting to the face of some of the public that really think uh, our industry is not good, whether it's for the environment or animal welfare. And, and Will mentioned social media, and at the start of all my videos, my YouTube ones, if there's something gone on that week or something's happened out there or, or government are putting something out there that is damaging our industry, I spend five minutes at the start uh, correcting what they're saying and actually putting out the truth. Inviting people onto the farm is great, and I do that all the time. And I even do it with quite a lot of ministers and MPs and some well-known ones that I've got interaction with on Twitter. They follow me and I follow them. And... Um, I'm not saying who they are. I don't think I ought to, Annie, did I? No. No, there we go. <laughs> so I won't do. I didn't but even they, answer them. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Yeah. Um, but, and so I asked them to come on the farm, and two of them especially, they keep saying, oh, yes, when we're next in your area, we'll do that, because they are really wrong. They're what I call tree huggers. And I think we've got to get the myths away from these people and get the truth out there. And getting them on farm is the best way of doing it. But actually getting them to come on farm is really, really difficult. Thanks, Andrew. Anna, what are your thoughts on public engagement? Yeah, I think education is absolutely king. Um, but just taking a step back from there, I think it can be very easy for us as, as farmers to just get on the defensive straight away. And, you know, it's, it's important not to tell them just to, quite frankly, off. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, get them on farm, um, hit them with facts, because that... I do quite often just sit back and question myself, are we doing the right thing? Is what would, you know, is it right eating meat? What, what we're doing? But then when you look at sort of the myths and where they're getting their information from, it'll be from a farm in some other country and, you know, they're spreading stuff that, you know, none of this stuff happens here. Um, so yeah, you've got to compare like with like and um, make sure the facts are there and just, just keep hitting them with the facts get them on the farm. I actually had a, a vegan come to me a couple of years ago um, who wanted to start eating meat again and wanted to see the whole process. Um, so took him on the farm, took him to the abattoir, he saw the whole process, took him to the butchery, and he's now a meat eater. So Ooh, did, you, did you find out as to why you wanted to start eating meat again? Uh, probably lacking in B12 or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it's, yeah, good. but it is, good. it's getting the health benefits out there as well, you know. Yeah. It's not, you know, they, they do. In fact, I've just seen something, someone's tagged me on social media saying that plant-based sausages are better for the environment than the meat sausages, and uh, I intend to go back and hit them with some facts. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Uh, so we'll move on to our second myth now, uh, which is one that I've certainly been seeing more of, perhaps in the last couple of years. I'm not sure about yourselves. Uh, which is the claim that farmers are causing climate change or farmers damage the environment. Uh, and I wondered if anyone's got any initial thoughts about how you feel when you hear that being said. 
I think Andrew Ward looks like he might. Oh, I've got plenty on that. We could be here, well, five o'clock, so I'm going to keep it short. Keep, keep it to five minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, again, everything we do in farming looks after the environment. That statement could not be further from the truth. And when you look at government policy at the minute, wanting to take out, by 2040, they want to remove an area the size of Lancashire from producing food. Now, that area is equivalent to 440,000 football pitches. You think how big Wembley is, 440,000 of those the government wants to remove from food production. And when you ask them and challenge them, they say, well, it's marginal land. That's absolute rubbish. All land produces food. The marginal land that they call marginal is, is sheep, uh, where sheep graze up in the fells. That is actually producing meat that is British uh, raised meat and it saves us importing inferior food from abroad. This is the biggest thing. So there is no inferior land in the UK. It is all top quality and all has a use. If it doesn't have a use for producing meat and livestock, it has a, a use for capturing carbon. And so everything a farmer does is looking after the environment. The environment and the, and the landscape of the UK looks like it does because it's been managed for generations by farmers. It's as simple as that. And our landscape is the envy of a lot of other nations around the world. And it's thanks to farmers and thanks to people here that it's like that. Will and Anna, what are your thoughts on that, that claim that farmers are causing climate change? So, personally, on the farm at home, we've got a lot of areas that we are, like, rewilding and stuff like that. And I just said a lot of farms are now going into that and bringing the environmental stuff, envir environmental schemes back onto their farm. I think these are great options. They might not be on your whole farm, they might be in the corners of fields, but just little bits like that to show that you're giving back to the environmental stuff just shows that we do care. And even with the way that we are farming now, um, different methods, diff different cultivation methods and things like that. It's just showing that we are probably giving a second thought to what we used to do and going forward farms will change with the methods that they're using and that's because we, we do care. Um, yeah, so, so um, the standards that we have in this country, obviously the animal welfare standards are, are very high, world leading, and I think we're exactly the same from the environmental front. I mean, I've not got all the facts and figures in front of me, but from my understanding, if, you know, if, if the whole world were as efficient as we were environmentally, then we, just, we wouldn't need the, the amount of land or the amount of livestock to feed everybody. Um, and yet, I know whilst, whilst Red Tractor can get a bit of a beating and the, the government can certainly get a bit of a beating for hanging red, red tape round our necks, um, I think we can... They're, they're quite... What's the word? They do listen to challenge and they do look at evidence. Um, and, you know, there are consultations and things. And, and a lot of this is actually evidence-based in the end. You know, they do come up with sound bites that, you know, <laughs> really annoy us. Um, but they do listen to change and, and to challenge, sorry. And, and like I say, a lot of it is, is evidence-based. So I do think we're going in the right direction. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention was lockdown. I mean, I've got no facts and figures, but farmers carried on during COVID whilst everything else stopped. And I'm pretty sure visually you could see that there was less pollution. Um, I think the, the environment absolutely thrived during that time. So there's no bigger <laughs> bigger evidence than that in my, from my point yeah, of view. Yeah, I do, I do think 
Farmers get the unfair blame game, really, don't they? And also as well, what I find difficult to comprehend is that everybody, you know, all the farmers in the UK are, are doing their utmost to sort of like reduce climate change. We were talking about carbon neutral and things like that. I'm not completely up to scratch with it earlier. Um, but I think obviously we're trying as hard as we possibly can to reduce climate change, but then surely agriculture across the whole world also needs to kick in and have the same standards as us. Are we almost fighting against you know, the rest of the world that we try and make all of the effort and do make as much effort as we possibly can to reduce climate change, but then they're still you know, uh, cutting down the rainforest for beef cattle over in Brazil? So it, I find it really difficult how you know, the finger is pointed at farmers on that side of things, when actually you know, we're almost fighting fire with fire on that side of things, aren't we? And we were talking about planes in the sky, and you know, they're saying that they're net zero or whatever it is, but because of, as you say, the carbon situation, and then they can just go buy trees to make sure that you know, they're net zero. So, and as we were saying before, Wardy, weren't we, that actually they're then relying on the farmers to go off and plant those trees. So how, how, A, does that make any sense? B, how is it fair, yet you're still relying on farmers to actually, you know, cover your own ass, <laughs> really? So I think we actually deserve a lot more credit on that side of things. And again, you know, we try our hardest, but that's the best we can do. We've got to take pride in that, I think, really. You, you mentioned, Annie, about trees. Um, Rhonda Myler, half of myself, went on a train holiday last October. And we went from London, we went via, um, we went um, France, Germany, Denmark, Italy, um, Switzerland, um, and then back. And when we came through the tunnel, it really hit me how green and how many trees and hedges the UK has got. So the myth that we have got less environmental features than other European countries, in my view, is completely wrong. It was really evident, the trees we had, all the way, when, the minute the train comes out the tunnel, all the way to King's Cross. So that's one point I wanted to make. And another point, just to counteract this statement, was looking at wildlife. Last year on my own farm, I actually spent £6,200 on feed for feeding songbirds and feeding game birds. I didn't get any money back. I bought some small food um, from Kings, and that's got linseed, millet, sunflower hearts, sunflower seeds in. I put all seed rape with it in some wheat. And, uh, and in the amount I spent on wheat and buying this mix from Kings over the whole year was around about £6,200. And the benefit we've seen in songbird population increases and game bird increases. We've got six metre flower margins around every single field on the farm. Yes, we get paid for those, that's in stewardship, but that's just some of the features we do that I think some of the public don't realise how much farmers contribute towards wildlife and environmental impact. Do you think that, I'd, I mean, this is maybe a question for me because I'm slightly naive, not naive, but not, as I said, not clued up with facts. And is the government giving farmers enough support to make those changes on farm to reduce climate change so you know you can get the finger pointed at you to say oh we're causing climate change but are they supporting you enough as farmers to actually make those changes to make a difference absolutely not because prime example i said at the start they want to remove an area of the size of lancashire by 2040 from food production they might think that's going to help the environment it's not because we've then got to import more food from abroad that's actually going to damage the environment more so in an answer annie no so so who's educating these people who are making that decision how how can we get that across to them to actually say what they're what they're deciding and what they're telling you to do essentially on that side of things is incorrect how how do we get that message across 
I'll just say my opinion and let, 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 let Will... <laughs> so and, many questions. And, and, and all it was, I think, who's educating them? And I've put this out on social media. They take notice, the government take notice of more people sat in offices in, a, in, a, in an office in London, sat behind a desk, than do farmers like us who are out in the countryside, out in the fields, farming and producing food. That's the problem. They don't listen to the right people. Okay. We've advertised this as being quite a positive and empowering session. I was just about so to say So maybe Will and <laughs> Anna can say something quite, quite, uh, quite along those lines. Again, so I was going to say, um, with, you know, with the first question, how can we get that message across to the members of public that actually it's an, an unfair blame game and how can we make them see this in a different light? I think just like the first question, it's just education, education, education. And a lot of people, I say this to is kill them with kindness, don't be negative, just kill them with positiveness because the more positive stuff that you come across to while you up the things that you're doing is good, that's just a benefit. If you're negative all the time, people tend not to listen. And it's, it's, it's harder to fight positivity, isn't it, than to be negative towards and then negatives back. So, yeah, fair point. So, yeah, I was just going to say, um, when it comes to the environment, I think... There's, there's a lot of people that just try and make it too simple. They're trying to find one industry to blame and there might, there's a lot of shifting around of blame as well. And likewise, when it comes to individuals, I think they're trying to find a silver bullet that's going to solve all the problems. Like me, I, even a friend of mine just messaged yesterday saying that her school had gone done meat-free Monday or something. And, you know, that, that's all very well and good, but what about you know the rest of the day? So they're getting their meat from the EU, America, what's the carbon footprint of the rest of the, of the meal? Like I said, I, th I think, that, you know, it, it, there's a lot of sound bites going on, there's a lot of pointing fingers, but it's, it's that whole holistic thing, and I think we do it, we, did, we are doing an awful lot on farm. Um, you know, we're taking major strides um, in comparison to other industries and in comparison to, to other countries, and, you know, we can do as much as we can here but if nobody else is doing anything then it's not going to make a great great deal of difference is it in the grand scheme of things but um on a positive note i did hear on the radio today that apparently the ozone layer is on track to, uh, sorry the, the hole in the ozone is on track to be completely closed by 2050 so oh lovely mm. good so, um, with that in mind, do you think it's, because sort of trying to see this from the perspective of the more ge sort of general public, um, do you think that, because obviously they're being told to be fearful of issues such as climate change, they're being told of the damage that's going on, and they're being told they have very limited power to actually do anything on an individual basis to stop it. So, do you think that farmers are sort of being scapegoated as being one of the main causes of these issues, and that's why it's so easy for people to say, you know, if I want to do something to address the climate change issue, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it out on... I've identified farmers as being part of the problem, and so I'm going to eat less meat or no meat at all. I'm going to cut that kind of thing out. Do you think that's, that's the conclusion people might be coming to? I need to personally try and do my part to prevent the climate issue, and this is the only way I can find to do it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 people want to feel like they're doing something, um, and, uh, and sometimes you don't actually focus on if it actually is doing any good you focus more on the feeling that you feel good about yourself because you've done something i mean I'd, this is completely off topic but the other day we had a power cut and our old shutter door got stopped got stopped and you know the power was off for hours and i couldn't get it down 
I knew it wasn't going to make any difference at all, but just putting a load of wheelie bins in front to stop any wildlife going in, it wasn't going to do anything at all, but you felt it made great. me feel better yeah. because I tried to do something at least. But, uh, yeah, and I think that very much applies to the environment. We'll, we'll say, right, we're not going to eat meat, but then we're not going to actually... Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm never going to say that. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, people will say, right, I've done this in order to, to help the environment, but then they don't take the next step and actually check on whether that is making any difference. It's like I say, it's doing lots of little changes and lots of different things um, to push for that change. Not, no one big thing's gonna, gonna make the big difference that everybody wants. There's no one silver bullet. Right, so, uh, sorry, yeah, I thought Will was gonna have yeah. a go. Um, one thing I think that's, that is wrong is that we are blamed for climate change. We are being said we're the biggest contributor to climate change, which is absolute rubbish. Agriculture as a whole contributes 10% to greenhouse gas emissions. Livestock on its own as one sector of the industry is 6%. I've constantly been heard and been told it's 30 and 40%. It's wrong. The biggest contributor to climate change is transport. Transport is 27%. So nearly a third of the greenhouse gas emissions that uh, we are blamed for is down to transport. So if we're going to import more food, that's going to go up. So agriculture, and this is where we can all, everybody here today, can play a part in this. When you hear people blaming agriculture, blaming farmers for climate change, please challenge them. Don't just shake your head and disagree with them. We need to challenge the myth and challenge the false information. Thanks very much. And I suppose if you're thinking that uh, the solution is importing uh, avocados, let's say, then that might not be the, the right way to go. Um, our third myth that we'll move on to now uh, is one that... Um, I'm very passionate about, and I know Annie is as well, is that you need to be from an agricultural background to have a place or a role in the agricultural industry. So on that note, I'd completely disagree with that. Having just gone through an education system through college and uni doing agriculture, I'd say over the half of people on my courses aren't from an agricultural background anymore, and some of those people have fresh ideas. They're not come back from a family farm with ideas and precon preconceptions and they, they just have a fresh thought and fresh mind on stuff and some of those people go on to be the top people in agriculture even though they haven't come from a farming background and I even know people that have started off their own sheep flocks and farming enterprises that are doing a lot better than me having come from a farming background. That's really good, that's positive to hear because you know the youth are the future of farming, aren't they? So it's really great to hear that obviously you've got quite a few people in your course. Um, also as well, myself, I'm not actually from a farming background, bit of a country bumpkin, always have been, but none of my family's in farming. Basically, I joined agriculture and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> um, but I've stayed in agri because I completely fell in love with the industry. Um, I fell in love with the people. I fell in love even more so with the countryside. I mean, uh, there were times where I was challenged by farmers because I used to work for Red Tractor essentially and do the, I was a certification officer. So anybody who signed up with Red Tractor here, your inspections used to come to me. So I probably called you and sorted out a non-conformance, um, which essentially I wasn't allowed to do. So anyway, um, I, as I say, I started off there and I had quite a, a few phone calls, you know, 
probably people realizing that actually I didn't really know what I was talking about at the start. But you live and you learn, don't you? And actually, I think when you come into agriculture without an agricultural background, you do have to prove yourself a little bit, but you have to do that in any situation, in any industry. Um, and as I say, it's just one of those things now that I work for the Addington Fund, I'm marketing the fence, I'm not actually on farm and making a difference on farm, working on farm and with animals, etc. But I'm still in the industry and actually I love doing what I do and I love representing agriculture. I love, you know, myth busting and giving facts to people and actually, you know, not arguing my point, but giving my point across to these people who are encouraging people to, to dislike agriculture. And I think there's so many opportunities out there, isn't it, Alex? Same as you, you know, you haven't got a farming background. We're in marketing, communications, social media, that side of things. And I just think anybody who thinks, oh, I can't go into agri because I, I don't know anything about it, will step up, learn about it, and get into the, one of the best industries that there are, really, in the UK. I, I, I personally don't think I'll ever leave it, really, now that I've gotten into it. So I was tripped into it, and now I'm here forever. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think, uh, that, that it's, again, the statement's not correct. At the minute in agriculture, there's so much technology coming in that, yes, you might say that's removing people from the industry, but the technology required, it requires a lot of people to run that technology and a lot of people in the background to develop it. So I think that the technology side of farming, for me, is going to come forward quite a lot. I'm currently one of the, um, uh, on the advisory panel for the uh, small robot company and have been since it started. And when you look at that company, that's just growing and growing. And whether we like it or not, robotics and automation is coming in agriculture far more um, than, than it has done up to now. And it's going to keep growing. And that will improve the efficiency of the industry as well. And all these things require people um, to run them. It requires personnel. And that's just one side of it. You've got agronomists, you've got seed people, seed advisors. You don't have to be a farmer or, or start off in farming to do any of these jobs. You've got land agents. That's a type of farming uh, industry and a farming job. There are so many that don't require a farming background. You would be here all afternoon naming them. Um, yeah, so I'd say, obviously, if you, if you grow up on a farm, it's certainly easier to fall into farming but um but no as, as it's already been said there's so many opportunities out there whether it's on farm or whether it's in allied industry you know there's so many different roles within agri and um I, I really don't think that it's sold well enough certainly when i was at school i was massively steered away from farming because it would have been a waste of my education and um yeah and they couldn't have been further from the truth you know it, i'm massively you know we have to use a, an awful lot of grey matter every single day on the farm. And you just mentioned how far technology has come, and I, I don't think that's always um, recognised. Um, so, yeah, the opportunities are huge. And on the flip side of that as well, I think it's really important to bring that new blood in because when you've been in, in the you know when you've been on the farm for so long you can't see the wood for the trees it, you know you can get a fresh pair of eyes on it and a and a problem you've had for god knows how many years you've got a new yeah, pair no of ideas. eyes and it's like well why don't you do that and it's like <laughs> and all, all we you need know the newbies yeah we absolutely <laughs> do need the newbies <laughs> yeah and we need to welcome them in as well as an industry and just yeah take them under our wing i suppose now, we had a plan for how this session was going to go, which would be 15 minutes on each myth, but Annie's just poked me and said, because we've got more people in the audience than we perhaps expected, thanks Aww. everyone for being here, <laughs> we could potentially do a Q&A. Uh, if anyone does have any questions they would like to pose to the audience, you can raise your hand and we can get a microphone over to you, which Annie's obviously nominated to go and get up and do. 
If no one does have any questions, we can continue. But I thought I'd just give everyone the opportunity if you want to ask anything of our speakers. Come uh, on, don't be shy. Let's have some questions. <laughs> Put us on the spot. <laughs> See, no one, yeah. Do you want to go? Oh, hang on. Oh, yeah, go on then. Thanks, Iona. Thank you very much, Iona. <laughs> uh, George's partner is a primary school teacher, and she's got to teach in the curriculum how plant-based diets are better than meat-based diets for the environment, so how do you tackle that in school? Sorry, when you, say that's, is that, when you say that's on the curriculum, that is what they have lessons on every week? That's what, that's what she had to teach, wasn't it? How on a, that is appalling. It's the same as having meat-free days and things. That is just appalling. And I mean, I think if there's any farmers, I do a lot of farms into schools in Lincoln, uh, and I'm on, um, I'm on the group that go around a lot of schools. We have tractors into schools. I think if there's a local agricultural society near, near you, um, or Open Farm Sunday, it's actually getting into the school. That's what needs to be done here, is actually farmers and people who understand actually getting into school and talk to the children. Most schools won't turn an opportunity like that down. So I think, it's again, it's a case of being proactive and going to visit the school and say, can I talk to the children about farming and food? But it is, it's worrying because I don't think that will be an isolated case. No, okay. Well, in which case, uh, one question perhaps, because we've got five minutes left, I would like to uh, pose to our speakers is the same question that we asked in our survey for LAMA, which is, why are you proud of agriculture in the UK? What makes you proud? What makes you get up every day and have that passion to do the work that you do? Because of all the challenges and pressures that we know, what keeps you going? I think agriculture is one of those industries where you can actually see what you do every day. A lot of the stuff is physical and you can actually see the difference that you are making on the farm at home. It might not be on the farm at home. There's many different industries within agriculture from marketing, veterinary. In most of those roles, you actually have a physical thing that you can see every day. And for me, that's what makes me get up every day because you can see what you've accomplished at the end of the day. And it just puts a smile on your face at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with that. I think some days, actually, though, you said, what makes you get out of bed? Some days with sometimes some of the things we have to deal with, it makes you wonder, why do I get out of bed? But, um, but I think we do it because we love the industry. We love being outside. But also, the biggest thing to me is why I do what I do is that I think I make a difference. I do my YouTube videos because I like to educate the public and show them where the food comes from, the costs involved with that, and how we care for nature, the environment, and wildlife. But I think also it's because we're putting food on people's plate, we're keeping people alive. It's the whole contribution we have as farmers to the nation as a whole. That is why I do what I do. Yeah, very, very similar to that. You know, um, I'm just incredibly proud of sort of the, the world leading standards that we have, certainly from an animal welfare point of view, environmentally. I'm massively proud to be part of that. Um, and, it, you know, it's a very honourable thing, I think, to produce food. You know, it's kind of an essential part of life, even though not many people seem to value that sometimes. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's enjoyable sharing that knowledge, I suppose, with people. It's enjoyable getting them out on farm, showing how it's all done from field, field to fork. And uh, one of the first myths was farmers don't care about their animals. Again, you know, animals are great to work with. We wouldn't do it if we didn't love it um, and seeing how far the industry's come, the new technological advances, the welfare standards, just, just the whole thing, how, how good we are as, as farmers at what we do over here, how efficient we are, just every, everything about it. Um, 
that's not necessarily recognised by many other people, but certainly within the industry. Um, the people within the industry are great as well. You know, it's been a, I keep coming back to it, it's been a blooming rough year for the pig industry over the last year, but the people in it, bloody hell, they've got some heart. I agree with that, definitely. And following on from that, working in an agricultural charity, what I love is actually how we all come together and we all stick together. You know, farmers have each other's backs and I love the fact that it's a caring community and the passion between each other as well. So that for me is what I'm proud of. And as I say, especially working for a farming charity, I see, you know, the work that goes into caring for that person who's fallen into trouble. And that as you say, working with animals and seeing what makes a difference when you're working on farm. For me, working for a charity, when I know that we've been able to help somebody who's quite literally at rock bottom, that feeling is just incredible. And to know that actually they can get themselves back on their feet and continue in the industry that they love. Um, for me, I just, I just love that. I love the fact that we look after each other and we are, you know, a community. And I think the only thing I'd add to that is that you mentioned the phrase there, when people have hit rock bottom, but we would always say that don't let things get to that stage. You know, get in touch with charities like FCN, Addington Fund and other charities. And if you want to know more information about our charities, then we do encourage you to come over to the stands after this session. Um, we are able to help, and the sooner we are brought in, the sooner we can provide that help and assistance. So that's the message we would like to give. Very true. Thanks to Andrew, Anna and Will. For more information on the two amazing charities which made this talk possible, please check the episode information or email us at podcasts at farmersguardian.com. The charities are providing never-ending support to the agricultural community, so please do not hesitate to reach out to them. In this week's Farmers Guardian, out today, we have a look at the latest moves in the dairy industry as March prices drop and a discussion on what the future holds for Britain's favourite vegetable, the humble potato. That's all we have time for this week. Don't forget to follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast platform for weekly episodes and we'll see you next Friday for another episode of Over the Farm Gate.